five seconds to submergence. Submergence deep into the absurd. You know, I guess I can criticize a computer, but if I'm the one who doesn't know how to use it, then, you know, it doesn't, it's not saying yeah. much about the computer. Um, so back to culture, uh, I guess let's go, I'll go ahead and shut up and you can start us off with the intro. Cool. Yeah. I already started the recording because I thought you were saying some good stuff. So I... Oh, well, I paused just in time then to mess it up. <laughs> oh no, this should all go on there then. No, so, it, will. it will. It's all going to go on there. Well, in terms of culture, if we say what was Nietzsche even criticizing? Yeah. You know, who was he criticizing? It's like, okay, it wasn't just European culture. It wasn't just Christian culture. It was culture as such. It was mm -hmm. the people in which it lived and operated because, you know, culture yeah. isn't just art. It's not just what comes out of people, whether they're from the bottom or the top. It's also systems and institutions. It's modes of being. Well, it's a whole it's sociological a structure of yes, a people. It's glue. It's the glue right. between us. Some mm -hmm. of it's good. Some of it's shit. It's a headspace shared or not shared. It's a physical space that's either shared or not shared. It's a lot of things. Yeah. But at the end of the day, um, to call someone a culture critic, like it implies you're criticizing something that could, I don't know, either one stand on its own, stand for itself, speak for itself or something along those lines. And I guess if you have a expectation of culture that that's how it exists in the world, it's like, well, I hate to break it to you. You know, we go back to Emerson, good and bad, or but, uh, you know, names given to this or that. We can go over to the big Zarathustra and you do a quick uh, search and find on that, uh, like, let's say on a website, and yeah. you'll see he says good and bad many times. And he says in there that it's a, uh, you know, these are the terms, um, you know, it's what the creators gave to their creations. And it's what a people fancy. And again, it's just names to this or that. Let's yeah. see if we, if, if you if know, the interesting right thing about uh, Zoroastrianism or uh, just whatever it's called, it's one of the earliest or like it is uh, almost the earliest uh, parent to um, all the three main monotheistic religions. And it was one of the first that came up with the concepts of good and bad, or at least it had this uh, dichotomy, this like battle going on. It came up with the apocalypse, came right. up with the heaven and hell. Um, it's really interesting that uh, and that's why Nietzsche chose for that or at least that's like part of the reason why he chose for Zarathustra to be the prophet because of that, because he was basically the, the guy who created good and bad or good and bad in the context of religion. Yeah. It's, right. it's kind of like the etymolo uh, etymological roots of, yeah. um, of the matter. Right. And I should cite that, uh, that knowledge. I don't know if I got it from the Nietzsche podcast or if I got it from this book I'm reading called the, uh, how to create your own religion by Daniele Bolelli. So not sure, but I'll post both the links in the show notes. So. Um, right. So but continue. Sorry. Well, to criticize cultures, to criticize people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, back to the notion of assuming a culture, like if you're going to judge it and assuming it, it, it answers itself by its words or deeds or whatever, it's like, well, Again, if uh, Emerson pulled the veil back, Nietzsche pulled the veil back, you know, good and bad, they're, they're just words. Yeah. It's, it's, it's relative. I'm not, I'm not a cultural relativist, nor would I play that game. But at the same time, we can act that, you know, we can see that 
it is relativistic. Uh, that good and bad depends on the, the, the person who created it, who came up with the concept. Uh, you know, as he says in the Zarathustra, right, like loving ones, was it always in creating ones that created good and bad? Quote, fire of love gloweth in the names of all virtues and fire of wrath. Right, this is what we've created. This is what we uphold. Um, you know, if it's self-chosen and self-directed, then, you know, there is no, there is no real judgment or criticism then. Yeah. And it's going, okay, this is a cover for us. And, you know, why this is all relevant is because it, uh, uh, you know, self-reliance, the essay is coming to a peak here. It's coming to a head. And Emerson's doing the same thing. He's, a, he's being a culture critic, which is to be a people critic. Yeah. You know, like a culture is, it's all these different things, you know, whether it's space between us or space that pushes us apart or our own headspace or the modes of thought or the systems of under uh, of law and otherwise under which people live, you know, um, it's easy. It's easy to take it for granted. It's easy to not notice it. Mm -hmm. And then it's also easy to, let's see, I'm trying to think, how would you put this? To disregard it. Yeah, well, I was going to say disregard, not just it, but also the value tables upon which it's predicated. Mm. And, you know, that's the root of the value. That's the root of the matter. Yeah. But, you know, we like we don't actually like we don't talk in terms of values generally. And very rarely do you see anyone actually do. You know, there is lip service given to cultural values. And usually it's in terms of conservatism. Mm. Right. Because those are the ones who are concerned about culture. Uh, or it's sticking around in any measure, let's say, or long term, uh, in terms of the larger Western canon, right? You know, we're talking two thousand years of yeah. art, literature, political philosophy, market philosophy, uh, a whole, you know, well, various I will say, civilizations across the globe. I will say that it's kind of like uh, culture is almost like a guitar, and then we kind of disregard the value of the strings and like how to tune it and like shit right. like that. Right. Well, yeah, well, uh, probably people who don't play them, you know, yeah. probably people who they, they might like the music, but they don't play them, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, I don't and play there, guitar, there's a, right? well, I mean, maybe that's the difference, right? Cre uh, creator, consumer, um, yeah. and you know, I just mean that in, in general and as such. Um, but so I could ask, what was left of culture as such when Nietzsche got done dissecting it? Not even European culture, not even Christian culture, because I guess if 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 there's certain games people would let's say want to play in a game, a country like the USA, then it's like you listen to the stories and it's like okay, well, is the country good or bad, right? Like you yeah. listen to the judgments of it, right? What's it produced in the world? Is it good or bad? How is it now? How was it back when? You hear all these criticisms thrown around. And uh, so, can I clarify something real quick? Sure. So, what do you mean? Uh what is left of culture? Do you mean what is left to criticize of it? Or do you mean what is? Well, left? I mean, I mean, what, if we're going to value it, if we're going to pretend that it okay. means anything other than a cover for our own values and for a way to justify our own self-perpetuation and self-creation through violent, forceful means in the world, because inevitably that's what culture is, right? Uh, for, for people X to exist, they inevitably got to fight with people Z. And, you know, we see how that pans out over time you know, dominant forces vying for power, you know, whether it's the Greeks and the Persians or the Romans and the Greeks or uh, the Huns and the Romans, right? You know, you see how this, you know, domino, right? Like here's another one. Oh, domino again, like, okay. And they lasted for a while. 
and you know, look how great they were and oh my God. And they're gone. And it's like, look how great we are. And oh my God. And we're gone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, what is, what does culture even mean if it's people aren't even present? There's another question. That's another way I could frame it. You know, and these are just different ways to think about so you it. Think going, it's almost a life force. Well, I guess back to, you know, the, the cover was pulled, meaning it's mythological, meaning that yeah. it's kind of like this dream world and it's the story we tell ourselves, but it's not necessarily true. So it means all the people criticizing one to supplant it mm -hmm. with another are also engaging in the same game because the whole thing is, you know, as predicated on virtue. And, you know, if, if the Christians of old aren't, you know, liberal and progressive enough and they need to be supplanted by an even more virtuous liberal youth, let's say, you know, then you see it's like, okay, well, we're back to square one, you know, virtue and morality for the, if not for the sake of God, then for the sake of itself. But it's still, the culture still being used as the same millstone, as the same grindstone of, you know, pivot left, pivot right. Like, well, how are we trying to, you know, constrain all these forces and keep the civilization going? And, it doesn't matter how we do it, how Machiavellian it is, how twisted it is, how blatant the power plays are, so long as it gets done, right? Because this yeah. is inevitably what happens. And, you know, the rotten decay brings about the tyranny. And this is all, we're going to get into this in a second, you know, with the Nietzsche's the gay science, because it's no, you know, Emerson yeah. was also talking about these same forces of decay at the time. So the notion is, if American values were already missing in action and rotting through, you know, over 100 years ago, and if Nietzsche observed it in his time in Europe, and then, you know, anyone in America who wants to say, well, this country was good or bad or this or that, it's like, okay, so if you say it was good or bad, then the notion is, well, you didn't understand the lesson from European history, you know, from 2000 years of European history, and you didn't understand Nietzsche's lesson. And then from there, you could say, okay, well, then if you're concerned with America being bad, again, you didn't understand what happened. Like, if you did say, okay, America is bad, I don't think it's redeemable. It's, things need to change, right? It's not whether, you know, I don't know how, what, what, you know, because I'm not actually saying any of this is or isn't true. And I, I'm, well, it's I'm more trying like a self-constructing, like perpetual machine. Yes. Really. Yeah. The way, the way culture kind of works, right? It's a cover for it. Again, yeah. and if it's a cover for itself, if the labels good and bad are used as a cover as predicated on the language uh, to a people's understanding and how that's changed and shaped over time, because, you know, Throughout history, languages have become illegal. Throughout history, languages have become distorted and weak or, uh, you know, corrupted, you could say. When the reaper with his shirasota, the drought, the march, has pierced the rota, and bathed every vein in sweet liqueur of wheat, spirtu, and generous fruit. Really? Really, dude. Seriously. Damn. Um, that was some old English for you. Yeah, so uh, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry um language have been, oh yeah languages yeah, yeah. have yeah. been made illegal they've been casted aside they've been destroyed. yeah right censorship it's, we, we, yeah and people people see it in the modern day and it's like well no one values freedom of speech they never have no one values you know there's no there's never been such a thing as marketplace of ideas one right culture is created by a few people and it's democratized from there it's always been this way right it comes yeah. from on high and the people who create it who have the intelligence and ingenuity to create it and explain that through language to other people who then adopt it, right? This is, you know, or you could think of like an artist, right? They're expanding man's vision, whether no matter the uh, medium they use, they're expanding their vision and showing this is either the space that I've mapped out, or this is how my vision I've seen, or this is the music I've heard, or the feelings I've felt, and however it's, you know, expressed and translated. Well, expanding their own vision. 
a story. Yeah. But I mean, inevitably it becomes everyone else's vision too, though, because that's, yeah. that's what they do. It's, well, you know, Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Nietzsche would probably, it, right. well, it, they, it happened. It, the, the plus apparently, you know, history teaches us that the process has been blind. It's been autopilot, you know, yeah. it's been dressed up over time. You know, I think Nietzsche kind of calls it the bestowing virtue in, um, you know, that desire of a, uh, of a creator to want yes. to give away their right to, to want to bestow those gifts. Uh, and well, you know, the, pro- the problem is, it's like, go? right. Well, the problem is if you're in that position, you're going to be resented. Those people have always been resented. Um, you know, whether it's an Emerson or a Nietzsche, because who wants to hear the truth? Because it's ugly. Because again, the rest of it is that, well, we've been using this as a cover for all along. Yeah. You know, many lands saw Zarathustra and many people thus he discovered the good and bad of many peoples. No greater power did Zarathustra find on earth than good and bad. That's pretty, like, that's, that's pretty yeah. definitive, right? No greater power. Verily men have given themselves all their good and bad. Verily they took it. They took it not. They found it not. It came unto them as a voice from heaven, right? Like that's the inspiration. That's the yeah. real world becoming a fantasy and the, and the fantasy supplanting the real world. Loving ones, was it always in creating ones that created good and bad? Many lands was there at the strand, many people, no greater power than the creations of the loving ones, right? So here he's calling the creators loving ones, being that they were the ones who birthed the culture, right? He talks about the motherly tendency and the creative tendency a lot throughout his works, including the gay science, which um, we're going to get into. I'll read an excerpt of um, Aphorism 24 here. And it's just, it's, it's pretty funny because it's the end of the aphorism is pretty long, but uh, it just says, quote, Europe is an invalid who, owe, who owes her best thanks to her incurability and the eternal transformation of her sufferings. These constant new situations, these equally constant new dangers, pains, and makeshifts have at last generated an intellectual sensitiveness, which is almost equal to genius and is in any case, the mother of all genius. You know, to call Europe an invalid you know, okay, back to Nietzsche being a culture critic, right? Yeah. You know, it's like to call a culture an invalid is to call its people an invalid. So by necessity, he's saying uh, Europeans and European descendants are terminally ill. Her best is an instinct and a will to power and health over the masses of conformity and thoughtlessness. It's like... Let's... uh backtrack a little bit to that uh the eternal transformations of her sufferings yes now that 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 was necessary yeah yeah and like what are we um eternally transforming right like what are we transforming our suffering into i just uh recently listened to this podcast and they uh it was the duncan trussell family hour i don't know if you've heard it Mm -hmm. but uh he was relating money to like suffering tokens basically like it's like oh, this is how much i've well, suffered here you go right um so in a sense like money greed you shouldn't like, open that you shouldn't open that right? door man because like i i've been you know i've been pondering it for a while you know if you're the term fuck you money like it's got to be in an american invention and yeah. it tells you exactly what our values are and aren't namely that yeah. we have no values right like the whole point and, and you know nietzsche mm-hmm. talks about this early on in the gay science too uh that like you, the, you know, the best thing about Europe was her ability to generate wealth. Yeah. But she has like no actual like culturally significant, mm-hmm. you know, occupation with it, other than to figure out how to do more of that and to do just more yeah. of that. 
Well, I and will in, clarify here that uh well think but think about it. If, if we've come yeah. this far and now the notion is I, you know, I want nothing to do with this. I just get mine and get out and I want nothing to do with the rest of you, you know, never mind whether it's you yeah. know uh any judgment of it. It's just it shows you where the culture is at. Yes. You know, and to me it's like, okay, whoever whoever first coined that phrase gotta be American because yeah. it captures <laughs> our values. And it's like, because what are, are our values? Do we revalue age, wisdom, tradition? And it's like, no, of course not. And I guess you can say on like that those familial values in certain respects will always be there and have always been there. Yeah. And that's true, right? To a point, because cultures have always survived and gone back to those uh, medians and those baselines as necessary, right? Over time. Yes. Uh, through war and famine and plagues and all that stuff. So it's cyclical anyway. And it's but, always going to be cyclical. Right. But again, back to the rotten decay here, Emerson over a hundred years ago, it's like, okay, if this is where we're at, that this is all we have to say to people is to go, well, you can chase these objects, but like, don't expect anything else from the people here. Like, don't, ex you know, you can't expect, like, don't blame them. They just don't blame them. Don't ask for anything for them. Don't expect anything of them. They just work here. They were just educated here. They just live here. Right. It's not mm -hmm. like, there is no guiding light. There is no goal or plan. There is no, you know, and people will try and tell you otherwise, but like this much hasn't changed. Like these were yeah. some of the biggest critiques of culture going again, if this was a mythological framework and manifest destiny petered out and it was a strong engine that carried those uh, old world Europeans forward and then just kind of, you know, uh, landed in the mire of the 20th century you know, it's just, it's basically, it's almost like witnessing a standstill or, you know, cause you see on such a large scale, it's like, well, I don't know. How do you, how do you uh, jumpstart such a big corpse? I don't know. You know, as much, it's much different, even the destruction after Europe and uh, World War II, let's say, it's like, well, you had very clear lines of what to do after that, right? Bury the dead, clean up the rubble, build a new, make more babies, right? Like the lines were very clearly in front of them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I guess this kind of, uh, but I guess, I'll, you know, an important thing not to take for granted here, because, you know, people with their complaint, you know, uh, with their complaints and their criticisms, they let out a lot of confessions. And chiefly among them is that, you know, that they ever, if they feel betrayed or upset by what's going on, then it shows you how badly they mistook just what this country was and where it was headed and what it was destined for. And I'm not or what it was fated for and what it was destined for. If they actually think that what's happening right now is a problem. Yeah. Well, it's also, um, there's also the psychological manifestation of the apocalypse. And the well, I mean, you can witness in right. real time. Well, I mean, people never want to hear it. And, and like, yeah. it's almost like they don't want to see it. And there's this weird side of it. Like, let me put it like this. Um, you, so a zebra doesn't necessarily recognize a lion that's laying down. He won't, he won't react to that lion like he will to a lion crouched over there or running at him. Yeah. You know, and, you know, imagine like, okay, imagine you live next to a predator who ate your children, right? Like, would you yeah. tolerate living there? Are you going to stay living there? No, you're not. You're going, you're going to figure something out. Yeah. You're either going to kill the predator or you're going to move. But a zebra, you know, he'll just pass by a, lay, a lion lying, lying in the shade. He'll pass yeah. by like it's not even there. And my but, thoughts But here's are, the question. Here's a question before you get into that. Um, if I were to move, would there be a worser predator? Or is this like the weakest predator around 
Well, I guess anywhere. you just had you'd probably the, the real answer would be something like you'd have to roll those dice. Yeah. Um, but it's a question of what the zebra is aware of. And, and I, and I guess it relates to memory or in its corollary forgetfulness. Cause then I question, okay, why does the zebra not react? And then it's like, well, it lives hand in hand. It lives right next door to its predator and there's no escape. Yeah. So for nature to allow this creature to live in a state that isn't permanently stressed out and schizoid and, you know, that'll kill it, yeah. you know, to lead to maladaptive behavior, let's say it had to instill a certain forgetfulness a repose in yeah. this, you know, I'm a dumb animal, uh, zebra, 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 or whatever zebras think about, or however that sounds to them, you know, um, yeah. that's what they're, that's what the zebra is doing, but he doesn't recognize that there's a lion. Here's the thing, like you, Greg, you recognize, yeah. you know, to be aware of a lion, whether it's chasing you or it's in a tree or it's in, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, so I will also say Excuse me. that a part of that is also herd there's like so many zebra that the percentage of them that actually get taken out by lions is like super slim right so the, there's a multiplicity of factors at work yeah here. it's the individual lion's forgetfulness yeah and then it's the herd's instinct like between those two factors it's like voila you know like yeah you know no one has to think about anything ever it just it fixes itself and you know people yeah. come along and they commit violence and they strengthen the group you know and for the people who come from within to commit violence like a socrates or a nietzsche or any great thinker right they come along and by the time they're done you know it's been a massacre in terms of yeah. what that culture actually thought it was or you know like in a very real sense um so there, I, there are these tendencies that are built into the, the mechanism, the machine work to ensure that, you know, it keeps keeps moving. So, you know, Nietzsche gets into the, the science of it here. You know, we just read Europe being an invalid, uh, you know, who owes her best thanks to her incurability and the eternal transformations, meaning, you know, it's been up to the individuals who, when the culture was stagnating and dying, you know, uh, you know, they, they've done what's necessary. And then over time, it's like, you see, okay, well, is that even enough anymore? By the time you're hundreds of millions of people, it's like, is that enough? And the answer is, well, I guess we don't know yet, right? Like we haven't, we haven't seen uh, what large modern, in, uh, you know, was it fourth industrial revolution, fifth industrial revolution civilizations look like on a long-term scale, right? Um, it looks like this shift is beginning with America in decline is what it is. It's, again, it's where we were headed. Uh, back to the notion of if people are upset to what's happening, it tells you that they don't understand it. it doesn't mean that they're wrong, let's say, uh, or that, you know, you could make any number of judgments depending on where you're coming from and why and what your motives are. Yeah. Um, but it all heads in the same direction. So he's got this other aphorism, knowledge of distress. Um, and it begins quote, perhaps there is nothing by which men and periods are so much separated from one another as by the different degrees of knowledge of distress, distress which they possess, distress of the soul as well as of the body. With respect to the latter, owing to the lack of sufficient self-experience, we men of the present day, in spite of our deficiencies and infirmities, are perhaps of all us, uh, are perhaps all of us blunderers and visionaries in comparison with the men of the age of fear the longest of all ages, when the individual had to protect himself against violence and for the purpose, and for that purpose had to be a man of violence himself. And he's talking about just ages past, right? Where, you know, there were no police to call or that by the time you had police to call, you also had no nosy Christian neighbors. And also you still had to be aware of threats and you still had to be the primary uh, 
force giver, you know, you had to be the, uh, uh, um, when, when men had to account for all these things, when there was no escape, when the, when the responsibility wasn't diffused, let's say, you know, both not just feeding oneself, but also protecting oneself. But some people do still live like that, right? Well, um, there's always been dependence. There's always been, you know, people sheltered. There's always been, you know, people cut off or fenced off in various manners, separated. And that's why, yeah. um, you know, and he's just saying, um, let's see, he's saying, uh, let's see. he's saying that the knowledge is the dividing line. Yes. The different degrees of knowledge and distress by which they possess, you know, talking about body and soul. Um, and, you know, and back to the notion of what culture is, you know, it's around, as Zaf would call it, it's a rounded system of anchors, which yeah. means it's a rounded system of repressions. It's a, it's a, it's kind of like the systematic method to keep a people functioning and operating. And it's like, well, what does all that mean? And it's like, well, you have a large group of animals and they need to be able to live their lives and to do, yeah. to facilitate that process. We tell stories about it. And we do all these other things, but, you know, when you see a government worker, you know, going down a manhole, it looks much less romantic, let's say, but he's performing a very necessary function. Or when you see him up on the power line, right, he's yeah. performing a very necessary function. The meek will inherit the earth. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> so I'll go on with this aphorism and then we'll get yeah, back to that. At that time, a man went through a long time of schooling and corporeal tortures and privations and found even in a certain kind of cruelty toward himself in a voluntary use of pain, a necessary means for his preservation. At that time, a person trained his environment to the endurance of pain. At that time, a person person willingly inflicted pain and saw the most frightful things of this kind happen to others without having any other feelings than this for his own security, uh, without having any feelings than for his own security. As regards, as regards the distress of the soul, however, I now look at every man with respect to however he knows it by his experience or description, whether he still regards it as necessary to simulate this knowledge, perhaps as an indication of more refined culture, or whether at the bottom of his heart, he does not at all believe in great sorrows of soul, and that the naming of them has in mind a similar experience as the naming of great corporeal sufferings, such as toothaches and stomach aches. So we'll stop there for a second and just say like, you know, it's, it's, he's talking about a certain, uh, a certain aspect of perception or understanding. You know, I guess if Voltaire said that there's men so simple that they can only contemplate the earth in terms of like basic facts. And I yeah. guess in modern times, there's been uh, research coming out saying things like some people kind of like they've suggested that some people don't really have much of an internal monologue or dialogue, you know, to the notion that we seem to have, you know, with yeah. the theory of mind, you could say goes that very mediating force of this dividing eye that says I am or I am not like that's yeah. me or that isn't me or I'm going to create more of me or less of me right whatever it is we're doing um that'd be weird what to create less of yourself well I guess that's that's no that's, to like not have a an internal dialogue yeah I, I mean that would make you a not I think that that would make that would either make you like a zebra or a non-entity or maybe like <laughs> maybe that's the perfect herdsman is what yeah. that is I don't know what that is you know actually if we if we really wanted to dissect that phenomenon if it, if it's if we presume it to be real let's say is is in it they really don't have any kind of thing resembling an internal yeah. notion of you know i is distinct from the world or i in i'm not sure if any say. human who can use language would would have that but i know there's people who can't uh like imagine images uh with their mind 
Yeah. Okay. So that right, right away, I think of like, oh, lack of imagination, lack of creativity, right? Lack yeah. of, you know, I, I don't know that muscle just isn't there. It was never developed or they were born yeah. without it. I don't know. Um, let's see. We'll keep going though. Uh, so we were talking about, okay. He, so we were talking about very, thus, however. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean when he talks about that man, uh, when Nietzsche talks about, you know, such as toothaches and stomach aches, this guy uh, thinking, equating, let's say, uh, one's thoughts and feelings one's introspection one's depth let's say like conflating that with like a depth of pain comparable to toothaches right those are worlds apart they're two different things uh, internal and external sight and suffering uh, but i'll move on with the aphorism it is thus however that it seems to be with most people at or he says it is thus however that it seems to be with most people at present that again, and I guess this reflects, you know, let me, I'm interjecting here, but it reflects in our political philosophy, right? The notion of like, oh, well, if everyone just has enough food and money, they'll be happy, right? That's the notion, yeah. like they'll be happy enough that none of these problems that have happened for the, you know, I don't know, that is it that any, you know, let me ask you this, with modern po political philosophy, is it that all of the, or any of the problems of the last, you know, tens of thousands of years will disappear? Like, what is the, what is the idea behind any of it that it's going to solve or cure anything? Well, it's the same idea that's been around since there was politics. Um, keep the little people out, step on them. But yeah, <laughs> well, in a sense, yeah. Like, ah, there they poison uh, the well again. Uh, well, it's kind of like uh, you got to dig a new well. You get an ideal when you're a kid, and it's either brainwashed into your mind or you kind of develop it over time. And some oh. people are super passionate about it and they have enough money to go out there and like, oh, try. yeah, to, like, to both try and or believe. Yeah. Try and or believe that because you don't have try. to believe in anything to like, yeah. you know, put an idea or a message and all that other stuff out yeah. there. Yeah. Yep. That's, all, that's, all, that's just, a whole nother psychological can of worms. Right. They just push it basically. Right. Um, um, so it's kind of a need for uh, the individual to have power. Um, at least it, in my view that's what politics is it's it's first and foremost a need for the individual to have power oh stemming from them receiving or following orders from someone else well nietzsche's got choice so. words about that in the gay science as well like the, the first like 50 aphorisms you know it's from politics to you know these matters of tooth toothaches in the soul yeah you know, he talks about that in there and he talks about basically how machiavellian the politician is you know he, yeah. he has a, he has a good i don't remember the title or i put it out is it maybe it's I just get a glance here maybe it's the lack of a noble presence that almost sounds like it, it would be describing the phenomenon right like yeah. if i could say there's a distinct lack of a noble presence it's like you know in our culture it's like absolutely and i would say that goes for the top and the bottom really like it's mm -hmm. not that's just lacking period you know that gets back into uh developing the sight and the vision um but i guess we'll just keep moving forward here because i mean there's more and more to say but otherwise we'll wind up on this yeah only on this uh Actually, you know what? We'll skip to the end here just to keep it moving because, yeah. uh, oh, no, no, actually, no, this, this is actually important because this relates to what Nietzsche thought of kind of okay. Jesus, his analysis of Jesus and you yeah. know, as a cultural phenomenon, how it relates in the background that he was a man who couldn't stand pain. Like the thought of pain was just too much to bear and he wanted everything to be so soft and easy for everyone, you know, so you get into heaven and, you know, God yeah. will love you and all this other stuff. So uh, we'll keep moving here. Um, Owing to the universal inexperience of both kinds of pain, you know, toothaches and the soul, and the comparatively rarity of the spectacle of a sufferer, 
right? Because we all just soldier along and go along with it, right? Shut up, don't ask questions. An important consequence results. People now hate pain far more than earlier man did and calumniate it worse than ever. Indeed, people nowadays can hardly endure the thought of pain and make it out of, as an affair of conscience and a reproach to collective existence, right? And this is the moralist approach to philosophy and life. Like, oh, look at the pain. It's just, you can't justify it. And it's like, well, you know, sorry, it's the wrong planet. You were born on the wrong planet. You see, like the, what has shaped the animals here is pain and suffering. It's the evolutionary arms race. I'll keep moving forward here. So the thought of pain and make it out to be an affair of conscience and a reproach to collective existence. The appearance of pessimistic philosophies is not at all the sign of great and dreadful miseries, right? So it is important to note, he's saying the appearance of them is not the sign of the miseries. For these interrogative marks reg uh, regarding the worth of life appear in periods when the refinement and alleviation of existence already deem the unavoidable gnat stings of the soul and body is altogether too bloody and wicked. So basically he's saying it's decadent. He's saying it's excessive. By the time you have a pessimistic philosopher, it's like, oh, you're already you know, slumping to the next nadir. You know, that, that's why it could exist, that a philosopher could exist in the first place in your civilization. Number one was the first step towards decadence. And the step number two was that, you know, that's where they wound up going, oh, wow, we can't justify this at all. You know, like we say nay to life, we say no to life. Um, mm. And that gets sublimated too. You know, it's why Christianity, you know, when, we, when you dress down Christianity, it's very nihilistic. You know, it has, yes. the, it has the appearance of being a hopeful religion, but it's nihilistic. It's world and self-hating. And as a result, you hate other people. It's all, it just, yeah. it, the whole thing is in, uh, indicative of uh, revenge. So, yeah, well, I mean, it was, it was built, it was created by slaves. So, I mean, right. they're of course. pissed off and repressed. Yeah, and your philosophy depends on where you come from, so. generally speaking. Yeah. And then, if, then, then self-overcoming then sees to the rest of it, as Emerson says, or as Nietzsche says, right? Because, you know, that's kind of the roots of um, their aspiration or what they put forth in terms of being any cultural extensive, I'm not going to say extension, yeah. they were revivica uh, revivifications of the canon, right? That's what those yeah. men were, right? They're like, if other people wind up being the rot on those same branches, it's like, well, these guys were the budding fruit yeah. and, you know, maybe the rest of it dies, but at least it produced this fruit. Um, so there might indeed be a remedy for pessimistic philosophies and the excessive sensibility, which seems to me to be the real distress of the present, but perhaps this rem remedy already sounds too cruel and would itself be reckoned among the symptoms owing to which people at present conclude that existence is something evil. Well, the remedy for the quote unquote distress is distress, right? Like, okay, you see the problem. Now you have to deal with the problem. It's like, oh, you yeah. went looking for the truth you're bad, you're a mistake. Now you have the truth. You're enlightened, yeah. but not in the way that you hoped. What are you going to do about it? Look at how the men of the past suffered with their enlightenment. Look at the distance they had to put. Like you tell me, is it easy for a man to distance himself from his own culture, his own people, his own race? You know, I don't, um, you know, if you just think that's easy, you know, Emerson's got words for you. You know, I think, I don't know if we've read it already, but remember he says, if a man thinks this law is simple, you know, keeping to your own law, that is. He says, if a man thinks it's simple, you know, let you try, let you try keeping its command. Yeah. Yeah, you get bowled over real quick. Everyone knocking on your door, begging for a nickel, asking for help with this cause or that cause, yes, your own yeah. mother, your own sister. Yeah. Then so you start getting controlled. You start getting pulled down and tethered to them. 
Right. So what's again? Well, and then we're right back to square one. What's even left of culture? Like, is there even anything? Is there anything or anyone left to criticize? Because I can think of Nietzsche and uh, Zarathustra again talking about you know these ogling. You know, he's talking about these these scarecrows of men going like you know your culture is theft, your education is theft. You know, these are other people's ideas. You haven't created anything new yourselves. You know, and he goes on down the line of criticism, uh, criticizing man. Because culture is like, it's like the, the, the tattered fabric that everyone wraps themselves in. It's what they hide behind, right? And maybe they're not even aware that they do it, but they do it. Um, and it's funny because in that part, you know, he says, uh, that's what scared him the most. You know, that there was like, that there was nothing to even recognize in them. He said, you know, if you guys even tried to be something along the lines of, if you guys even tried to be yourselves, like people wouldn't even recognize you. You know, how could we recognize you, you modern present day men? And it's like, you know, it hasn't changed since then. You know, we've only headed further in that direction because American culture is an offshoot of European culture, is an offshoot of Christian culture, is an offshoot of uh, Jewish culture, right? And the way this soup has had many elements added and taken away, what we well, could escape. Greek culture. Yes. Oh, Greek. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm not, yeah, yeah, of course. No, I know. I mean, there's, I, I was just saying there's a bunch of extra stuff in there too, but yeah. I was following particularly... <laughs> that that uh, genealogy right um to yes. say that that was the ticking time bomb though yes. that that's that's what america inherited i think we mentioned it last time right mm-hmm. you founded it in uh, christianity slavery revolution and democracy it was just inevitable that there would be cataclysm here right on a cultural yeah. level um there was no way to reconcile all that no one's come along to reconcile that and what people have on offer is not enough and people are too disparate and separate anyway and maybe it's a good thing because maybe maybe it's the only thing that's kept something like americans from really getting stupid or you know if it's possible dumber you know <laughs> uh in terms of their behavior you know cultural decay and decline yeah. um but again you understand that in these times of downturn it's like it's temporary right like the people's drives they're not they're not going to be again after the disaster that's when it's like oh, okay now things have become clear there's rebuilding yeah. to be done there's work to be done there's children to be had you know there's culture to develop yeah and well i think there's also something to be said about how there's kind of always multiple disasters at once um but but eventually these kind of pile up over time well, I think they're and always there. We just don't see. We, again, just... culture, culture, culture in a very sense is like, it's like the herd pattern, right? Yeah. If we're thinking of the zebras, culture could be the herd pattern, which allows us to completely ignore without even thinking about it unconsciously. We don't have to think about that. That's the mechanism that allows us to ignore the lions. And, and you know, if we talk, if we translate that metaphorically and liter- you know, to the literary, then it's like, OK, well, there's your police officers. There's your soldiers. There's your borders. There's all your laws that you people have cooked up for generations. This is the systems you've built for generations. These are this is the money you've made for generations and that anyone's unhappy with any of it, that anyone's upset about any of it tells you just how little we were thinking about any of it or any how little anyone was aware of it or how powerless people were to do anything about it because again to actually criticize it from a moral perspective implies that anyone's aware to do anything about it and you know and you know it's like there there's a tragedy it's like oh you think you can get revenge like ahab you think you can get revenge on a white whale good luck with that yeah so uh you know, but, you know, Young's analysis was right back in the late 50s. He did say that, you know, what the Europeans like 
what they've been so upset about this, this euphemism of this apple, right? Uh, that the apple in the Bible, that, 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 that cute little quaint little original sin is a euphemism compared to what Christianity, the violence it actually brought against the world, especially all the darker skinned people of the world. Right. Yeah. So like people have been observing that notion for a long time. It's not new, but again, you know, now that the get the, the jig is up now, people, you see that everyone wants to get out of the business and pretend like, Oh, well look at, Oh yes. Look at this injustice. Let us do something about it. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, by the time you're even there, it's like, Oh, that's already, you know, second, third death now. You know, that's already, yeah. you know, you're already headed in that direction. By the time people well, are worried about corruption, yeah. it's like you've had generations of letting that corruption foster and grow and breed. And, um, you know, by the time it's noticeable, I guess by the time you get a tumor, it might be too late, right? Yeah. Because the tumor is what you notice. Uh, Nietzsche saying like uh, talking about, you know, and you might think, oh, the tumor is the cancer, like the pessimism is the proof of the misery and it's like no 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 the cancer was actually from some other environmental thing the pessimism was from some other environmental thing but that was the right that's what showed itself first but yeah you know it's it's this kind of weird uh again it's not apparent because again we weren't meant to see nick notice that you know a lion sleeping is a lion running yeah um it's it's been part of culture is that a domestication and that civilizing force that just kind of blinds us into it and to be of it, to just mindlessly go along with it. Um, but this brings us to Emerson himself, you know, the man of the hour. The man of the hour. So um, we ended off last time. It's on the, if we cannot at once rise to sink these, but yeah, let's read the paragraph yeah, just, before that. Yeah, just above it. Cause that's, that's going to drive everything we just talked about kind of home there. Yeah. All right. Part six, self-reliance. Let's do it. But now we are a mob. Man does not stand in awe of man, nor is his genius admonished to stay at home, to put itself in communication with the internal ocean. But it goes abroad to beg a cup of water of the urns of other men than by preaching. Oh, wait. Urns of other men other men we must go alone i like the silent church before the service begins better than any preaching how far off how cool how chaste the persons look begirt each one with the priest precinct or sanctuary so let us always sit why should we assume the fault of our friend or wife or father or child because they sit around our hearth or are said to have the same blood all men have my blood and I have all men's. Not for that will I adopt their petulance or folly, even to the extent of being ashamed of it. But your isolation must not be mechanical, but spiritual, that is, must be elevation. At times, the whole world seems to be in conspiracy to importune you with emphatic trifles. Friend, client, child, sickness, fear, want, charity, I'll knock at once at thy closest door, at thy closet door, and say, come out unto us, but keep thy state, come not into their confusion, the power men possess to annoy me, I give them by a weak curiosity, no man can come near me, but through my act, what we love that we have, but by desire, we bereave ourselves of the love. 
give them the power men possess to annoy me. I give them by weak curiosity. Right? Yeah. He's saying if you're offended, it's your fault. And he's yeah. right. You know, it, it is true. It's hard to recognize. It's hard to understand. It's it's the zebra lion territory. It's one of those aspects of consciousness. Like I would don't I wouldn't expect a, a super young person to understand. I wouldn't expect inexperienced people to understand. You know, yeah. um, but it's there. Uh, no man can come near me but through my act. Right? He's 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 talking about. You could consider it keeping a distance, but he's not necessarily referencing that here. Yeah, he's, my he's act, letting you know that that in like the knee chain like mask sense yeah well i was thinking more like if i let you in i i did it whether that was voluntary or involuntary okay maybe i meant to maybe i didn't mean to you know it's like i let you in and then you bothered and then you upset me it's like well you know uh you knocked at my door why'd i open it yeah and i like this part what we love that what we have what we love that we have, but by desire, we bereave ourselves of the love. So I think I mentioned this story to you a long time ago, but a friend of mine told me, you know, bachelor travels a lot and his family, his friends with families say to him, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm jealous and this and that. And he's like, but yeah, but you got a family, you have a spouse and kids and you have love. Like, what do you, you know, this, that's what I think of when I think of this. And it doesn't have to be literally like that or about people or family. But, you know, the fact like you're saying what I have is not enough. You're seeking something elsewhere. And it it harkens back to the first part of the paragraph. You know, uh, we don't tell men, we don't teach men because we can't. We actually don't know how hardly at all. You know, I guess wise teachers actually know how to do this. But yeah, average, you know, the cultural teacher does not the average cultural teacher, you know, to put, to put a man in communication with the internal ocean. Instead, we send them, you know, to go abroad, to beg a cup of water, of the urns of other men. And, you know, this is a very, you know, Nietzsche would echo the sentiment. We must go alone. You know, I think back to Zarathustra saying, you know, the way you want to know the way there is no way. And also this is my way. Where is your way? You know, but he also, but as a teacher, he encourages, you know, uh, you know, I'm a rail, but not a crutch. You know, so and that's and that's the teacher's proper attitude, right? You know, maybe maybe there's a time that you kick the student off the rail, right? That that might be the right thing to do sometimes, or maybe another time is you let them clutch a little bit tighter. Um, it depends. Like, you know, if you try to treat your child the same way every day under all circumstances, like you would have a very abused child or a very yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, if you're not actually accounting for what this kid is experiencing and the context of the different people around him. You know what I mean? Like you could mess up a kid really easily. Um, So we want to destroy them. Yeah. Especially like, well, even if you like treat them nice all the time or you don't. Oh, that's, well, that's another, whoa, absolutely. Because that's not real either. Exactly. Right. That's not, you know, um, you're well you're putting them in a zoo right where they have like this controlled environment that uh pretty much it and it it, it would depend on your position when, yeah. in relation to them or over them you know if it's yeah. a child or something because in a certain circumstance it, it might be perfectly fine you know if if it's if, if there's a certain reciprocity there yeah but the notion of reciprocity reciprocity is that someone can actually reciprocate and mm-hmm. if they can't reciprocate then you know you would question like well what do you why are you even associating yes yes. um so but he but you know that doesn't mean that doesn't but despite differences because you know he talks about 
you know, why should we assume the faults of our friends, our wife, our father, child, you know, these are people in your life. These are people who presume like, you're not just going to walk out on them. That's not what he's suggesting or saying. Uh, He's just saying like, if you see that they're full of shit, why would you abide? You know, the, the answer is uh, you don't. Mm -hmm. And then there's a question of, well, okay. If there's an elephant in the room that needs addressing and you haven't addressed it, well, whose fault is that? You could maybe if you saw it, you then that means you were the one to take the lead. You could have yeah. taken the lead. You didn't. Why didn't you? You know, this gets into question. Like, I guess we tend to think of this sort of behavior and mindset as it's both leadership thinking and it's also um, you would call it um, not not just leadership. And not just like and not just a position as mediator. That eludes me at the moment. Oh, okay. I guess we tend to frame these things in terms of cowardice and bravery. And we encourage one and hate the other. One's good, one's bad, right? You see very quickly, despite the fact that we love notions of cowardice and bravery, that they suffer from the same moralizing. That inevitably to even imply that something, one thing is courageous and one thing is not, is to imply a moral framework. But then what else do we have to admire? Because apparently, you know, never in history has anyone admired weak, like no one... No one's outrightly aspired to be weak. There might have been weakness or madness taught under the guise of something powerful. Mm-hmm. But it's never been consciously like, yeah, I want to grow up to be just dependent and like, you know, I, I want to grow up to be pathetic and judged by everybody. Like no one wants yeah. to actually be that person, you know, for the, I guess for the way, you know, American culture is at present with, with that, you know, when, when you, like, I'm sure you saw it earlier when uh, Nietzsche brought up that question on the sensitivity to pain that it's just like, Oh, it's just, we can't stand a second of it. Like, Oh, you shouldn't have to wait for anything and you shouldn't have to suffer for any, you know, it's like, I don't yeah, know well, how that's much more... what I was telling you before the podcast started about work. Right. Um, hmm. Cause like my job's not that bad. Right. But like, if right. I, you know, like working overtime and not getting paid over time is like shitty. Right. But it's not that bad. Cause like I sit behind a computer. Right. Well, we, day, have, right? we have law. We technically have laws against that. So like, yeah. if you wanted to be, but like, here's the thing. It's like, if you go and blow a whistle, it's like that, like no employer is going to want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like you, by you, you're, you're, you're spiting yourself out of the game. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's a lot against it if you're on salary though. Um, especially in a right to work. State. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because what well, I was going to say, then, then, then it would likely be that then, 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 then if you, if you're talking about accurate hours accounting, then they'd have to pay you time and a half likely. Um, or whatever they're, I don't know, actually know what their laws are, but like, depending on where you're at, that's usually how that goes that you can't do you like, there's no such thing as working for free. Like all that time gets accounted for because the government wants its cut. So if your boss isn't, if your boss isn't paying you, that's money they're denying the government actually. You should bring it up to your boss, no, <laughs> right? Like, right? Would you put yourself in that? Obviously not. Yeah. No. The answer is no. You wouldn't do any of that, you know. And it depends in terms of a hostile work environment. It's like, well, you know, the whole thing, like the whole system is it's predicated. It's pretty coercive, yeah. right? Like the whole because it's like, well, you have the option to not work, and then it's like, well, just go, you know, die in the streets. Sure, right? Like yeah. if most. You know, because most people like we're not going back to like subsistence living anytime soon. Most people are so far removed from that. Like, because you could say part of our cultural substrate is like the cowboy imagery or the self-reliant man. Yet so many modern people are far removed from that for better or worse. It's like, but the delusion and the idea that 
like, oh, it can be this easy always for everyone. The idea yeah. that that can ever happen, it's like, no, dumbass, because people inevitably have to suffer. They're either going to yeah. be soldiers or they're going to be cops or they're going to be sewage workers or they're going to be seekers of some sort or they're going to be who knows what they are, right? But there is a instinct that seeks that adversity and challenge. Have you ever watched Rick and Morty? It's a healthy instinct, actually, because it's the instinct that tells you you don't get stronger without conflict. Right. It's that's why that's why Nietzsche talks about war as strength. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, and he also talks about war as a means to avoid suicide. And, and, I, and I'll point it out from time to time that, you know, it's telling in the U.S. like, right, it's like here's a here's a cultural indicator that's been around for a long time. But no one talks about that. You know, it's telling that the country has not cared about winning wars in almost a century. Like that is yeah. that shows you that, that shows you another aspect of the trajectory we've been on. It's like, OK, war's just been business then. There's been yeah. nothing to survival or strength about any of this yeah it's just okay uh, anyway go or you know some of it has been power plays like yeah. let me let me correct that some of it has been about strategy strategic positioning like military history proves it I'm not going to deny that some of it wasn't necessary or useful or good um yeah. but that's for the most the part point. it was basically to make money yes yes i mean this was the warning of the con- congressional military industrial yeah. complex because the military again like culture itself the military just it's not self-creating and self-sustaining it needs a congress to direct it right it's like okay where do we we have a bat where do we swing this thing yeah you know they we happen to have built it it was happenstance that we want you know it's some of there's some of that germs gun steel in here right that you know we just happened to wound up on top after world war ii we had our heyday there was our incline and now is our de- you know there's the declivity yeah. there's the double will there's the decadence there it's all setting in uh but you were starting to say oh yeah <laughs> you mean about rick and morty yeah 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 so oh this- that was a telling show by the way, the fact that that show came into existence, it's like, oh, that's that. No, it, it, it yeah. was it, it, it was a there's a cultural pin in that. Um, yeah. Well, there's this episode where like Rick, um, like you find out like how Rick powers like the spaceship. And it's powered off of these mini people inside of this tiny universe, like this little microscopic universe that essentially they just have a bunch of power plants and then uh, all that energy goes towards Rick's spaceship, right? Right. It's culture. And then Morty's like, yeah, well, isn't that just slavery with extra steps? Oh, yeah. No, no. And that's, and that's what I said. I said, yeah, yeah. That's culture. We call yeah. that culture. Yeah, um, exactly. But I mean, but, but, but take it seriously and say, okay, but if it wasn't for those people who first carved out that space, who first had that site and developed the senses for further sight, yeah. To further see what we couldn't see, to further understand what we couldn't understand, to develop a language for it even, to further explain and expound and expand and to eventually, again, like Emerson traces that genealogy in this essay, yeah. not just the language. Well, he does in this, in the larger series of essays, it, it's even more in depth, right, in the whole of it. But he traces the genealogy himself, both in language and in, you know, this kind of gets into, you know, Magna Carta, right of Kings, you know, uh, just the evolution of European liberalism over time uh, from not just not just uh, the French and the British, but the larger kind of mechanism and body of thought, you know, because it all it always yeah. came on high, right? Like the aristocrats and the, the educated, because once upon a time, not everyone had all those luxuries. Right. Uh, but now yeah. that we've arrived here and now that we're here, it's just like, OK, well, I guess, you know, um, we all need our private gestures and we all need, um, you know, we just shouldn't suffer at all. 
right? Like it's terrible that life asks anything of us. And then to my mind, again, like if, if to me, you know, any kind of um, passion, especially when it comes to the seeking of great suffering for great joy, you know, for the way those two intertwine, you know, to me, it's like, okay, anything short of that, that looks like that's like, that's, that's a living death, right? That's yeah. when, when they say there's fates worse than death, that's one of them. But I think here's the thing. I don't think that if there's someone who lacks some internal monologue, let's say, I don't know if like, they're not going to think and feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. N- well, they aren't. And a part of that, well, I mean, Nietzsche brings up that consciousness could have been derived from having an internal dialogue because what that did was it brought oh right our attention this, from the outside right. world to our inside world yes right? the creation of the self yes, yes. It, and then i actually and i'll give credit to salts here because i might have been within the context of that same aphorism or another related one but remember he had mentioned it to me a while back yeah um but it, it was kind of about that oh that it no it was on his podcast right where he says that uh quoting nietzsche he, he nietzsche's talking about like it could have been that there actually were healthier instincts, but there was no guarantee that they actually survive long enough to be passed on or that, you know, or that we ever understood them to make use of them. It could be, you know, you can, once you stop on that thought, you can really open it up and you could write a book on it if you wanted, let's say. Yeah. But we're just doing the Nietzsche treatment of in and out here. So, uh, you know, he just brings that up that, yeah, there was no, like this work wasn't a guarantee in the first place that something else wouldn't have been better you know, there was no, like it could, there could have been something better, but maybe it died or maybe it didn't succeed for whatever reason. Right. We just don't know, you know? Yeah. It's, and it gets, um, it's really strikes to the core of these matters. Yeah. So, um, do we stop off at what we love today, but by desire, we bereave ourselves of the love. Yes. Go on. Cool. If we cannot at once rise to the sanctities of obedience and faith, let us at least resist our temptations. Let us enter into the state of war and make Thor and Woden courage and constancy in our Saxon breasts. This is to be done in our smooth times by speaking the truth. Check this lying hospitality and lying affection. Live no longer to the expectation of these deceived and deceiving people with whom we can converse. Say to them, O father, O mother, O wife, O brother, O friend, I have lived with you after appearances hitherto. Henceforward, I am the truths. Be it known unto you that henceforward I obey no law less than the eternal law. I will have no covenants but proximities. I shall endeavor to nourish my parents, to support my family, to be the chaste husband of one wife. But these relations I must fill after a new and unprecedented way. I appeal from your customs. I must be myself. I cannot break myself any longer for you or you. If you can love me for what I am, we shall be the happier. If you cannot, I will still seek to deserve that you should. I will not hide my tastes or aversions. I will so trust that what is deep is holy, that I will do strongly before the sun and moon, whatever inly rejoices me and the heart appoints. If you are noble, I will love you. If you are not, 
I will not hurt you and myself by hypocritical attentions. If you are true, but not in the same truth with me, cleave to your companions. I will seek my own. I do this not selfishly, but humbly and truly. It is alike your interests and mine and all men's, however, long we have dealt in lies to live in truth. Does this sound harsh today? You will soon love what is dictated by your nature as well as mine. And if we follow the truth, it will bring us out safe at last. But so you may give these friends pain. Yes, but I cannot sell my liberty and my power to save their sensibility. Besides, all persons have their moments of reason. When they look out into the region of absolute truth, then will they justify me and do the same thing. Damn. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. That just, that kind of so just you... brings up the whole, like just being, that almost like delves into start um, and just being authentic to yourself. Um, and you're, you're doing people more justice by being authentic and being honest than you are by being like some people pleasing, like, wacko right well i mean that's uh that that is that is culture's best function though yeah is to domesticate is to socialize you know like british uh uh you know like the the tendency you know like the the british are procedural they have their methods and systems and as a people they're generally very uh polite and very nice and you know and like americans are even though they're not british they are overly polite right like they're very yeah. You know, they, 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 you know, they're not all British, that is, right? Uh, like, it's yeah. definitely within the culture. Um, yeah. yeah, because I've heard people from other countries will meet Americans and they'll be like, wow, Americans are so nice. Oh, right. it's like, well, you don't know, you don't know what they're so really friendly. thinking. You don't know what they're really thinking, number one. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like when we, when we exported McDonald's to Russia uh after the cold war was over and they're like service with the smile like we get the hell out of here what who what are you people like they just and they were you know they they couldn't trust or believe it and you know maybe you could say rightfully so uh but so you may give these friends pain you know it's a curious thing to sneak in there so you can give these friends pain yeah, if you can love me for what I am, he's, like, he's not making an apology. I like I, one of my favorite parts is, uh, if you can love me for what I am, we will be the happier. If you cannot, I will seek to deserve that you should. Yeah, I'm kind of interested by that line. It's almost like I, I wasn't really expecting him to say that. Because it's almost yeah, because a... he's saying, well, yeah, he's he's giving he because it sounds like he's giving the other person too much credit, right? Yes. That's what you, that's that's exactly what it is, isn't it? I will try. Uh, where, where is it? I cannot break myself anyway. Let me show me that. Yeah, because you, you you'd almost think he'd be say like, if you cannot, then shove it, right? That's what you're almost expecting. Yeah. But I think wait wait wait, wait where is it? Uh, I like this, but right down here. But but listen, but here's where he tells you his attitude though. Here's 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 the difference. Yeah. If you're a noble, I will love you. If you are not, I will not hurt you. <laughs> so you know, there's a big difference between I love you. Which, like to say, I love you implies that I would protect your life with mine. Yes. 
that's what that that's what that carries. Uh, and I don't mean that in anyone else's definition. I'm talking about this is my own value system. I could say, if I love you, that actually goes along with part of my love. So I can only imagine in Emerson's case, you know, that I will love you. And if you're not, I will not hurt you. You know, and it's like, yeah, and maybe I won't yell at you and maybe I won't beat you, you know. Yeah. Um, but in general, you know, it's nice, it's nice if we can just, you know, ignore each other at the very least, right? It's like, you don't have to be friends or even like people or love them, but ignoring them is nice. Uh, even having that option, right? Because cultures don't always give you the option. Yeah. Right, back to the notion that it's very coercive to begin with. Well, and usually they don't give you the option. Right. Well, I mean, then that's why, that's why, you know, so, so, so the notion that we have this moral standard for bravery and cowardice on one hand and on the complete double-sided face of our culture is then this other notion of like, okay, so one way, one side is speak the truth, be yourself on another side, it's, you know, like do what's right and good. It's just the whole thing just nullifies itself. It's a two-faced lie just about, you know, I don't know how else to put it really. Um, at least as it manifests in this angle of American culture, I'm not saying the whole thing is the two-faced lie. That'd be absurd. Or, you know, that's, it's more complicated than that. It's talking about at least this aspect of it where it's like, so then just what the hell is anyone supposed to be? Who are they supposed to be? What are they supposed to be? You know, and, and and Emerson's thought is like, I'm not going to break myself on you people. Like he doesn't, he's not content to blend in with the hurt. He, to him, to him, that's, that's a fate worse than death, right? Because if it's breaking him, he's recognizing, okay, he's going against his grain. He's getting sick. He's going to be sick. He's got to do what he needs to do for his health. It's his will. It's his power. Well, it also, it, it turns kind of what you're living for instead of living for life and for living and for yourself, you start to live for a false version of yourself that um, is right. being controlled by other people. Right. Right. And see that always in that, that always comes that, that whole angle that always comes off as a bit nihilistic to me because then at the yeah. end of because then the notion is like, well, if the whole thing is a lie or backwards or so fundamentally skewed as to be worse than nothing like i don't i don't know it's hard it's hard to explain you know uh yeah it's like which is worse nihilism or christianity and i i can almost say christianity because it's dressed up so nicely it's insidious but you know, they're maybe, the same maybe, thing one's just got right? a smile and a cross yeah and i guess this goes back to the two-sided nature of it it really is deep in the culture isn't it and it's yeah. even in the modern politics like modern liberalism of like hey you know like all inclusive we love you we'll tolerate you but you know we'll rip your face off if you know you said anything yeah. bad about you know i don't know um blue people <laughs> damn blue people but yeah, I, I, always, how about this line they're but always yeah. singing and dancing and throughout the the discovery world or whatever. Yeah. And they got that group, get that pain everywhere (laughs) in Las Vegas. Uh, You will soon love what is dictated by your nature as well as mine. And if we follow the truth, it will bring us safe at last. But so you may give these friends pain. Yes, but I cannot sell my liberty and my power to save their sensibility. Hmm. Right. To him, liberty is power. And he's not wrong because it's recognized. It's, you know, where at what point you know this gets back into if you remember do you remember uh, Nietzsche talking about the declivity and the double will uh you know 
on when when the will wants to be an emancipator, but it winds up being the the prisoner of itself, you know, through its own backwards thinking, through its mm. own reverse historical take of like there was so much pain, we need to fix it, suffer yeah. now. Like it seems like life sucks for most people. And the notion is like, well, we either defer that suck till later or we'll just take it all on right now. And it's like they live in that kind of like attrition state. Like you see how yeah. manifest in Christianity, you see how manifest in Buddhism. Now you see how manifest in politics. It's just like, oh, the world is so terrible and we're so terrible. Yeah. And it's like, I'll say like, yeah, sure. Individually, like collectively it's blind. So it's like mm -hmm. to judge it collectively is absurd. Like to yeah. say that it even has a choice or a will is absurd. Yeah. It's like, no, herd of zebras. They don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> like they're there. Where are they going to move to? Are they going to go set up shop in like Antarctica? Like, no, that's yeah. not how zebras, like we're no different. Like we're, like we're not going to, we're not. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Their happiness is meant to exist in Africa, right? Like they, they're like, that is where they live and die. That's where they express themselves. They evolved to live there, just as a matter of fact. Uh, similarly, we evolved to live here, you know, all over the place, even in space. But then it's a problem that we evolved to do that, yet we can't seem to be happy or contentment with it, content with that. Yes. And then you question why. Back to, I guess I've questioned you before, right? Or thrown it out there rhetorically or otherwise, right? What was so bad in the first place? Why do we conceive, conceive of life and desire as suffering? Why are other people so terrible and suffering? Right. Like what is what, what just what's going on? What's so bad here? Like, why, why did why did Emerson even need to write this essay? I guess we'll, we'll keep going and maybe we'll figure it out. Sounds good. So. Uh, OK, I'll take it. Off, I'll take us off here. Cool. Next paragraph. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll start going. The populists think you uh, think. The populists think that your rejection of popular standards is a rejection of all standard and mere anti-antinomianism, uh, and the bold sensualist will use the name of philosophy to gild his crimes. Right? See, this is Emerson pulling the pulling the uh, pulling the veil. Right? Like yeah. who's behind the cover? It turns out nobody. Yeah. Uh, but the law of consciousness abides. There are two confessionals, in one or the other of which we must be shriven. You may fulfill your round of duties by clearing yourself in the direct, right? Like you're doing your time or in the reflex way. Consider whether you have satisfied your relation to father, mother, cousin, neighbor, town, cat, and dog, whether any, right? It's pretty good humor there uh, for like the 1840s, right? It's pretty cheeky. Yeah. It might be a bit of a dad joke, but uh, whether any of these can upbraid you. But I may also neglect this reflex standard and absolve me to myself. All right, so he's, he's talking about like, I can cut and run in both ways. He's saying in theory, yeah. he could do both, at least. I have my own stern claims and perfect circle. It denies the name of duty to many offices that are called duties, right? And Nietzsche would spell this, you know, 10 way, you know, he would, he would run around this one and spell it and frame it many different ways and times, or at least a few yeah. talking about differences between, you know, necessity and happiness and obligation and the bestowing virtue and kind of this back and forth between, uh, I don't know how you would even mediate that philosophical, uh, let's call it position or job even. Let's call it well, a job. it's like a Confucian duty versus Taoist. Yes, uh, there you go. Okay, passion, very good. Right. Perfect example. Yes. One. And Nietzsche says, you know, we uh, I, he's like Nietzsche says, you know, early on in his career, don't deny that the state may well be the highest duty of man. But he just goes on to say there are men and duties beyond the state, you know, yeah. and there, you know, there's a whole lot of it. So 
but if I can discharge its debts, it enables me to dispense with the popular code. So he's talking about self-overcoming. The notion is like, okay, well, to your culture, why do you feel so, why do you feel so indebted in the first place? Or if not your culture to other people? And it's like, well, I guess to the degree that culture, you would say, well, that's your everything. That's, that's your uh, mode of thought and that's your life raft and that's your headspace and your physical space, right? It's a lot of things. It's also your art and your, um, and your schools. Well, it's your, it's your whole culture. It's the, right. it's kind of like that whole sociological engine that's kind of pushing your society forward. Right. So what, right. So if the whole point of cult, if, if an aspect, not the whole point I'm going to say, but if part of culture is to shackle you, it is yeah. to be a fetter. If, a, if, you know, and the Buddha saw that as a matter of fact, it's part of what, part of why he did what he did. Let's say, you know, I'm like, I, I think we mentioned him earlier, but it's like given going for the widest angle here. Right. So if he could see that, if Nietzsche can see that, if Emerson can see that, um, you know, there's a question of what would make a man so bold as to enable him to dispense the popular code and debts? Because like there's a difference between overcoming something and just thinking you've overcome something. Yeah, like, I, definitely. you know, I'm sure you could give a personal example. I could give a personal example. I'm not going to ask you to, nor am I going to give one. But I think anyone can pretty much call one to mind. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think everyone does this, um, and in part, yeah, we shirk our duty. Some, some, somewhere, yeah. there's like, nope, I'm, I'm content. Like you guys already, at, no, and we and look to a degree, we're all cool with it. I think we let we let each other be lax sometimes because it's like, don't worry, I like I flaked last week, you flaked this week, cool, right? Like we're, yeah. we're both we both suck, great, right? Like we lower the nation, yeah, we we lower standards. We generally don't raise them, you know. Yeah. So that is one method. But in this case, we're talking about, uh, or that's um, not the method, that's um, uh, the example, right? Yeah. But then there's a notion of, okay, now imagine doing it without feeling bad about it. Now imagine doing it without feeling like you need an excuse or you need to explain yourself because inevitably, Greg, if you owe me in terms of cultural context, it doesn't matter. We're both Americans. We met each other here in America, all these other things. If you feel like you owe me and you cut me short, you know that without me saying anything, I'm expecting an explanation. Yes. Right. So if culture exists proverbially to, to make you explain yourself, how could you free yourself? And then I could also ask, how would you explain yourself then? Okay, well, what, what, why you? And this, this is what I, and I would say the dividing line is like, well, can you prove it? Emerson here proves it. Nietzsche is an example of someone who proves it. Right. Like, oh, yeah, we need people like this. We've always needed people like this. Right. We've needed people who could break it and also break free because they so they were the only ones who could see that there was a problem or that something was missing or that yeah. the accounting wasn't being done properly. Hmm. Culturally, uh, you know, we could even say uh, justice wise, you know, uh, I know it's easy to think that. Um, Nietzsche didn't care for justice or values or, you know, anything like that, but it's like, no, he just, he meant ju justice as we practiced it and justice as we defined it and justice as we knew it, just like bravery and cowardice, it's all framed in morality. But again, we have no, like, if we're telling a story about heroes to children who don't even have a way to consciously proper, to consciously articulate or understand higher, ra you know, we'll call it higher rationale, let's say, or more complex logic. I'm not going to call it higher rationale. It's, that's a misnomer of what rationale is or what logic is. It's not higher anything. It's just a mode of thought is all it is. 
um, if they, if anything, it, it, it makes just as good of a noose as many other modes of thought, right? Like any, any mode of thought too strict is dangerous, let's say, to yourself and others. Uh, getting off in the weeds here, but it's, it was related. So we'll keep moving. So it's kind of um, like a fire, right? It's kind of like burning. Yeah, and pretty like, much. I mean, yeah, kind of. You get burned. Kind of, or maybe, or maybe just as bad is like if fire is could also be a metaphor for growth and change yeah. in, in not a bad way. It's like, well, maybe you're retarding your fire. Maybe you actually need yeah. to be feeding it oxygen. Maybe it needs to grow, right? Maybe yeah. it's too weak. Uh, could, could work both ways. Um, so if I can discharge its debts, right? So he's not saying it's not real. He's not saying yeah. it's bullshit. And he's not, he's also not saying, oh, it's, it's relative. He's not, he's not pulling any of that kind of bullshit. He's uh, being, he, he's, he's being honest because it is a debt. And he's saying, if he can discharge yeah. it, it enables him to, to stay, to, to uh, dispense with it. And then if yeah. anyone imagines, here it is, I mentioned earlier, if anyone imagines it lacks, let him keep the commandment one day. Okay. You be a law unto yourself. See how rigorous you must be. You know how much you'll have to say no to other people. You know how much you'll have to chew other people out. You know, maybe, maybe you do it politely. Maybe, you know, I'm not talking about, I guess here's the problem. When we talk about these things, I think it's really easy to just think in terms of simple words or a few definitions or synonyms down to where we're only ever thinking in terms of one context versus again, like let me frame it in terms of back to your child, Greg. If you have a child, you know that even if you're really mad at him about something, if something else comes along, you know it might not be a time to express your anger. If he doesn't yes. understand something, you need to rein your anger in. Otherwise, you might destroy him or seriously hurt him and then yeah. also run the foul of not even – of helping him not understand rather than helping him understand, right, in terms yeah. of damaging his perception, uh, and also, or, you know, or you could create uh, what a lot of abusers do and a lot of crazy people doing without even ever, ever knowing or understanding, uh, in the cups of their, in depths of their madness is just how much they turn other people into victims or prey animal. Like yes. even your average, even an average family can do this to the degree that they raise a kid to be weak or naive. You know, it doesn't even have to be like, I guess people think in terms, it's easy to think in terms of the worst extreme examples of like, oh, they chained you to the radiator and beat you and only fed you dog food. It's like, that's one yeah. form of abuse. Another form of abuse is just simple neglect or not teaching you important things or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like there's, or not teaching you anything about your culture or your family and not actually connecting you to it. That's yeah. a subtle form. You know, we could call that neglect, which we're classifying as abuse going, okay, well, why is it that the animals here have a hard time taking care of their youth? And it's like, well, it turns out raising your youth is hard, but it seems like, like for supposedly caring so much about children, it seems to me like Americans, um, like we kind of have children just like zebras. It's like, oh, what's it matter if, if you get paid? It doesn't feel like this to the parents who lose kids, obviously. Yeah. But to everyone else observing, this is how we all think. Like no, no, no one like everyone else is going, okay, good. Not me, not mine, not my family. Like the, inevitably this is how it is behind, because the culture is the mass that hides that. We say we're caring people, but we suffer from the same diffusion of responsibility and the same blind, you know, the same diffusion of responsibility that yeah. exists in most cultures or all cultures almost is no different than the same impulse in the herd of the zebra. And then we suffer from all these things. So if you're going to break free, it requires that you be your own law because at short of being your own law, you're just not going to be strong enough because very few animals can live to be independent like that. 
unless they evolved to be independent like that. Human beings didn't evolve to be independent like that. So it's yeah. a strange phenomenon with us. Well, and our language is kind of a result of being a herd animal. Yes, we needed a way to communicate. And mm -hmm. like, look, we wouldn't have known the difference. Like, let's say we never, let's say we couldn't make sounds. We could only look with our eyes and make motions with our hands. Then right now, this would be a video call. There'd be no headphones. And yeah. we, we would be gesticulating fiercely with our hands and right, like all these complex ideas to try and translate them you know, we can just theorize. If you whack. Yeah. And, and the, the, this is, this is, um, you know, this is under, I guess, you know, this is kind of a fits in line with like the, both the historical sense and the evolved sense of, you know, to try and understand certain phenomenon, it works pretty good as thought experiments to, you know, conceive what it would, what the timeline would look like absent this phenomenon or right. It's just one of many ways to kind of try to get to an essence of the thing. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on with Emerson. So, Emerson says, quote, and truly it demands something godlike in him who has cast off the common motives of humanity and has ventured to trust himself for a taskmaster. High be his heart, faithful his will, clear his sight, that he may in good earnest be doctrine, society, law to himself, that a simple purpose may be to him as strong as iron necessity to others. So Nietzsche actually caught on to this. Like I, I, there's only, okay, there's two writers and maybe someone else does somewhere and i wouldn't doubt if they did but like between emerson and Nietzsche, they're the only two that i've ever seen really address it directly but that notion of to life you know life it seems to be like brutal necessity to some and it's also characteristic of life at the bottom because when life is hateful and hard and you have to like really struggle to survive you yeah. know and you have to suffer to survive it just you know you're operating on necessity you have no other option that's what necessity is and then you know Nietzsche observed like oh for for like these people who exist over here, it's like, oh no, they, they're just like, they're existing. They don't need their, their existence, their iron necessity seems to be happiness. Like it's so stark contrast with a warped mindset that comes from the, uh, let's say maybe the bottom of society and has a warped and twisted view of everything from all the pain and suffering they endured. Like rather than coming to see any beauty therein, they came to only have resentment therein. And, yeah, and well, and a lot of these uh, iron necessities are iron chains, really. Right. And then, and then, but, you know, and what is the chain, but that which is to be broken, you know, this mm -hmm. is how we as humans have always thought and treated the world. Yeah. We came across limitation after limitation and we said, you know, no, no, we can go further. We can go further. We can keep yeah. going further. And that's the story we still tell to this day. So again, you know, if anyone imagines this law is lax, let him keep the commandment one day. Yeah. You know, and it truly demands something godlike in him, right? He's not making a deity of him, but he is pointing out, you know, of, of such a man. Emerson is saying, he's saying how, how much power it requires. That's the intonation there. Yeah. Because if you're casting off the common justifications, because here's the thing, here's why the average person can't cast off common motives. Actually, just hit me just now. You're not allowed to do it because, you know, inevitably you cannot explain yourself you could not come up with a good enough reason to justify the morality of it. The, you know, maybe in 2021, you know, we're decadent enough to not really care or even notice or even ask the question. Like we're just that blind and careless, you know, at least in this, uh, you know, you could say downward turn. That's where man is at, at the moment. Uh, but, but the, that, but it's there regardless, right? It, 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 it exists as a question. 
Well, it's always going to exist is the question, though. Right. Right. And it doesn't matter whether anyone like it's it's going to be one of those things like like the problem of eating, drinking, sex, shelter. It's like this is an eternal problem. Right. Here. Here's and then here's something we've noticed as an eternal aspiration, let's say. So because, you know, if, if you step off the beaten track path and then you come across some police officers, they're going to demand an exp explanation. You step off the beaten path, you come across some teachers, they're going to ask an explanation. This is yeah. what's expected within cultures. This is what's expected within families. You step off the path as a kid, your dad, what would your dad ask you? Why'd you do that, bud? Right. Yeah. And like, Explain if you really, yeah, but they actually think about what they're doing. They're actually, cause it really like your dad, in fact, has no idea what's going through your head for all he knew. You were like some little sadist thinking I'm going to go torture animals and other human beings or something. Yeah. But he is checking in with you. It really is like, it's almost like he's saying, you know, the, this, the polite way of doing this, Greg is for me to intone, like you have a self and a mind and that I am checking in with yourself and your mind for you to confer your understanding, thus your responsibility therein, thus I can trust you and maybe even consider you an equal. But yeah. what I'm actually really doing is saying, show me your hands, show me your eyes. Like it actually is, it's the most subtle of cultural violence that we do to each other. And it exists, and this yeah. is this would be a universal actually. And this only exists because as animals were dangerous. And we know that if I don't check in with you from time to time, I don't know where your head goes. I don't know where you might wind up. And it kind of, it's what happens when you see like, let's say American dysfunction play out. You go like, God, what was going on in that person's mind? Where did they come from? What was their family like? Yeah. Their parents couldn't help them. Their friends couldn't help them. Like, was this, is that person literally that mentally ill or that malevolent? Or were they that, you know, were they that alone, whether it's suicide or homicide, you know, in terms of the way people do behave? Because let's say you do come in the door one day and you have been acting uh, very shady and your dad catches on to that, right? Because kids, kids like incriminate themselves really easily, right? Yeah. Uh, unless they're good liars. And then he goes, let me see your hands and you hold out your hand, you know, and he didn't, he didn't ask that. It started off with, hey, kiddo, how's your day? Because you got home late. And then, you know, you're like, that's fine. And you try going to your room and he says, hold on, wait, 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 I noticed something. What's that in your hand? And then you hold out your hand and what's in your hand? It's like, well, I don't know. But really that's what your dad was wanting to see because yeah. what's in your hand is symbolic of what's in your mind. Yeah. Now, how, what if you have something really insidious and you're hiding it in your mind? It's like, well, no one would ever know, let's say. Yeah. And now we're getting into, into, into spooky territory. But like so many people have those insidious thoughts just like normal people I mean, oh I've yeah had, yeah I've oh i think it's perfect thoughts i mean i i like i oh, think sure. everyone does oh yeah i think thoughts of, like you know in case anyone's feeling get bad or guilty about it for some reason circa 2021 still it's like oh no dude you know thoughts of suicide are normal thoughts of homicide are normal thoughts of revenge like all these things like people have been thinking and saying and doing these things forever yeah you know it's just Certainly. to to get upset with you know it's not like the human mind, it's, it follows a pattern in a season, no different than the stars, you know, to get mad at a thought and a feeling is no different than to get mad at like, oh, look, Orion's in the sky. It's that time yeah. of the year again, you know? Yeah. Well, it's just like the weather. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, rain. It's like, well, I should have either checked it, should have been prepared or, you know, uh, know if I know I live in this environment, I know what kind of weather to expect. Why am I surprised, yeah. you know, or why am I upset? Yes. Um, so I actually, we, I, I'm glad we got off a, a bit of a jag, but I'm glad we got off on that because, um, 
you know, that whole notion of behind all our concern and love for one another is a very baseline obsession with the preservation and continuity of life because your dad checking in with you, like your culture checking in with you is actually them trying to say, Hey, like, are you following the most utilitarian approach to life? That which is going to preserve the best good for you and everyone else for the longest, you know, Nietzsche disagrees. He understands that the pain bringers and the violence doers are necessary. Uh, Emerson also understands. Um, He understands that even this essay is an act of violence you know, as, as sweet as it is, as romantic as it is, as, as, as earnest as it is, as sincere as it is, it's, it's very violent. Uh, and and no, uh, it's as violent as Socrates, you know, and they put him to death for his yeah. violence. Um, it's like, oh, you got a question? You got more than one question? Nah, that's too much. We'll give you one question, maybe. Two questions at most. But if we give you a third, you're just going to hang yourself with it. And then we're going to have to feed you hemlock, right? Yes. So um, I'll read the next one. I'll let you take it from there. If any man consider the present aspects of what is called by distinction society, he will see the need of these ethics. The sinews of heart of man seem to be drawn out and we are become timorous, desponding whimperers. We are afraid of truth, afraid of fortune, afraid of death. I think of fortune, think of like rolling the dice, right? Taking a risk, afraid of death and afraid of each other. Our age yields no great and perfect persons. We want men and women who shall renovate life in our social state but we see that most natures are insolvent, cannot satisfy their own wants, have an ambition out of all proportion to their practical force, and do lean and beg day and night continually. Ah, it's so good. It's so good. And you know the damnedest thing, Greg, is that whatever that nadir was that they hit back in the 1840s so as to be here, it's like, oh, that part of our culture hasn't changed from then till now. This yes. remains. Maybe people have been enlivened and woken up and given a chance to voice it with technology, but I hope no one's fooled is to think that this has changed. Because this is like, you know, this is like, a, you mentioned before us not being archaeologists. It's like, no, Greg, we are. This yeah. is us playing archaeologists right here. Well, we've been uh, oh, yeah, like that for ages. You know, we're always trying to, you know, we want people to go out there and make the world a better place you know all right but don't but not too much because you'll make us look bad if you make the world too better of a place greg you're gonna make me look lazy or stupid or inept or or again if you're doing this now how come i couldn't do that before that's the worst thing especially the younger you are there's this great line from this great band called uh aver out of australia what's up bert great dude um where he says in the line line of the song uh can't can't stand to behold better works by younger men and it's just such an honest line right like if you want to take an older man down a peg show him a younger man in his prime doing his thing especially if it's a thing that you'll now a healthy well-adjusted male is going to be happy to see it they're going to go oh hell yeah man spread your wings and fly right yeah they love to see it like they in fact they would even you know a good person a good teacher is a good mentor right they encourage that in others uh you're your uh, your teacher comes to mind here. He he struck me as that kind of teacher. Yes, am I, Mr. Johnson? You mean? Yeah, I mean I'll, I brought him up before. I'll bring him up again. I'll keep yeah, saying I Mr. Johnson. So. I thought so. Um, he is that kind of a of a person. Um, he really he wasn't the kind of teacher that would just like what's the word dogmatize you 
or no. make well, you feel stupid or uh, I don't want to give too much of him right. away, but he, yeah, I don't want to give too much of him away uh, without his permission, but he, he does strike me as um, a motherly man. And I don't mean that as a pejorative or judgment, a bad way. I mean that in a Nietzschean sense. Yeah. In a nurturing sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he is, he is. Yeah. And he's also a very, uh, cause I've seen the way that he interacts with his kid and, or his son. And he's very, uh, he's kind of has that dichotomy going on of that, right. like, uh, nurturing sense, the but that, well, <laughs> yeah, not necessarily cracking the whip, but, uh, teaching him how to do things like, right. you know, helping him with his car when it's broken down and like, right. Shit like that. Right. Right. So, well, there's, there's the practical side of life and then there's, then there's general treatment, which is like the notion, the notion is that there's a reason to treat someone some way. And then I yes. guess when we think of behavior, we think in terms of punishment. Like, honestly, do we even have another way of framing? Like, if I'm treating you a certain way, why wouldn't I treat you like, in theory, if you're my friend, I should only ever treat you good. And it's like, unless why? Unless you offend or upset me. So that means yes. I need to hurt you. Right. And why? And I would tell you for it's for your own good. Right. It's for your betterment. And then there's a question you for our punishment, man. Yeah, I didn't take them out. You know, you, 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 as an invader, I did not. <laughs> Invaders with shoes. That'd be a fun band name. If you remember the, the reference to last week, right? You're talking about, you know, you got all these uh, invaders coming into your town, like bid them yeah. take off their shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Invaders without shoes. We'll be polite invaders. When are you going to start it? Um, yes, you can do it. Why not Keegan. now? You can do it why not? Keegan. Why not now? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I was gonna say we could we could have our first rehearsal here on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> you got you got a you got a I don't know um, a drumstick nearby or a stick you can hit beat on something. Yeah, my hands. Okay, there you go. Okay, uh, here's rhythm one. Here's rhythm two. Practice those. We'll learn more. We'll keep moving though. We'll just blow um, on the mic. That'll be the whole song. Like a jug band. All right. Our, ye- our age yields, uh, we read this about reading anyway. Our age yields no great and perfect persons. We want men and women who shall renovate life in the social state. But we see that most natures are insolvent, right? It's just most people don't have the power or knowledge or wisdom, do they? They don't have the ability. It's seemingly impossible because again, if the will is, the will is both the liberator and the tormentor, right? It's been yeah. taught both punishment and revenge. And it's also been taught love and uh, uh, self-love. I think one of Nietzsche's most, poignant moments in the gay sciences also in the beginning uh close to the other aphorisms that we read yeah uh, one of the earliest things he talks about the whole notion uh, or within culture the culture encourages and inspires great men to give of themselves and usually to sacrifice themselves and the notion is that like oh we pretend like it's a terrible thing when great men die or sacrifice themselves for a cause but the reality is that's what we wanted all along because we don't want men to like men should like men need to realize that they're disposable and interchangeable right that's actually the moral of the story that's what culture does to us it it helps mm-hmm. create that in us and it helps with cohesion and it helps with uh keeping the system running and the shit flowing right well and we very are natural. In, a, in a very real way yeah 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 and it's and everyone's replaceable. replaceable yeah it's it's usually just inconvenient and that goes with almost yeah. anyone whether it's a parent or a teacher or someone at a company and look, it could be well devastating to one person or many persons, but it's true. Like, um, and then Nietzsche says that the biggest act of violence in there is that the cultural forces 
these external forces and the way they've in, internalized a little internal homuncula, the way they've created a little Christian or other devil inside you to go, no, Greg, it's not enough or no, Greg, you should or shouldn't do this good and bad, good and bad, right? Like that exists in you as a cultural construct, right? As a cultural creation, it's yeah. affected you, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not. So um, what do you call it? Well, it's Th- like that, a spirit that's yes. looming over you. Yes, exactly. So, so for you to overcome that, it's like, there's actually a process. And then there's, there's, a, there's questions I could ask to determine whether or not I see that you actually have or have not, whether I see that that voice is alive inside you or not. Like I can see like Emerson's free of it. Nietzsche is free of it. I know Nietzsche is free of it because the, the markers are in his writing. You couldn't, you couldn't have written what Nietzsche wrote and not be free of it in the way Nietzsche was. Same thing with Emerson here. Like no one could write this unless they knew. And I don't mean no as in they Googled it. I mean, as in they know through usually it's experience, time, suffering, age, yeah. you know, things like that. And it also can be incredible genius and insight, but usually it's a complex, it's a whole, you know, it's not just any one thing that makes a man or a woman, right? It's yeah. many things that go into us. Uh, so, you know, we don't want to take any of those things for granted or oversimplify it. Um, I think I got sidetracked from the initial point I was making earlier, though, from the Nietzschean perspective, though, where Nietzsche says the greatest act of violence is that that self-sacrifice that the herd drives you to, that it's happy for you to do, or that it's completely happy to ignore when you get picked off by the lion and continue on business as usual, that that denies you your greatest self-love. It denies you your greatest coping mechanisms, your greatest Mm -hmm. innovations or whatever it may be, because those are precisely the biggest stalks of you that you have to cut out to either then sacrifice yourself for these other people, because then the distinction would be, nope, I am like he's, uh, uh, Emerson says, I'm cutting off. I keep proximity is no covenants though, right? He is now a free agent. He has separated himself from the herd. Yeah. He acknowledges it. It's a very dangerous thing to do. You know, that the, the, if the Americans at the time wanted to go burn down his, his house next to Walden, they could have, and they would have been justified actually, you know, historically, yeah. Conceptually, evolutionarily speaking, because he might as well be saying, "I'm I'm going to be a witch, you guys." Right? He's making yeah. that declaration. Nietzsche could also say that the fact that the Christians didn't want to burn him was a sign of the decline. Going, oh look, the Christians—they don't even have the zeal to burn this man. Look at this man; yeah. he's being a heretic. You guys don't want to burn him anymore. Eh? It's like, oh yeah, this is serious decline. Like our, you know, I guess. Well, you'll know you see it in the in the in 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 the Islamic world, in the Islamic, I mean, in the Islamic Islamic world, in the Crusade world, in the religious yeah. world, in the in the religious fundamentalist world. You'll know you've reached the same decline when they no longer want to chop off people's heads. And yeah. I mean, I don't mean that with like, I don't mean that as a shitty jab at culture. I mean that is a set of ideological believers waging war in a way mandated by their culture, instructed by yes. their culture in these books by these men that they're actually demonstrating the life and the fruit of that culture. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a concrete example, just like in America, again, with our, uh, with our averseness to pain, you see the kind of weakness we create, you see this kind of stupidity we generate. Right. Well, yeah, it's that. uh, And that's just one example. It's not all bad, right. It's not all decadent. It's not like obviously Western, like, you know, cause here we are talking about Emerson, at least Emerson. Hmm. It's that, well, it's that, uh, it's that repression and that, that sort of like isolating culture that kind of brings on a state of cowardice. Like I was telling you the other day. Right. Well, it intentionally does it. 
it intentionally does it to keep like yeah. when it's it, it's sickest it intentionally does it to yes. it's like it's like a social ranking system like let's say right where it's one thing if you know how you're ranked you can then play the game fairly but if you you don't know how the game is played then that's a twisted game meant to destroy you and warp your mind yeah right it's meant to rather than a, a parent expresses to a child where they stand to foster health in the child because the child needs to know quote unquote what's right and wrong i.e what's good and bad for the child in the sense that these actions will kill it these will bring reward you know now those are the extreme we could look at less softer examples of behavior but at the most extreme examples of behavior for simplicity's sake that's what we're illustrating so a parent doesn't play that game with the child to manipulate it or to play a twisted power game a parent does it because it's actually important that the kid knows why is the dad mad? Why is mom mad? Yes. Why is that? Why are they saying this is important? Why are they saying this is unimportant? These actually turn out to be lines of life or death and you might not know it until it's too late. That's the problem. We don't know until it's too late a lot of times because we, it seems like we only learn in retrospect yet we can only create, live, move going forward because life is only ever spontaneous in the moment affair. Um, you know, we touched upon this last week with the will being this phantom that flits back and forth. But again, you can't really remember, you can't remember feelings. You can only have feelings in the present based on how you felt in the past. You know, that zebra, fortunately, the zebra is repressed enough in its own natural consciousness that it doesn't have to get upset at a lion laying down. It only yes. needs to get upset when a lion chases. And actually, I bet the circuitry is even more simple. It doesn't even need to see a lion. It just needs to see other zebras running. So that tells you that the predators don't even have to be real, which actually goes really far to explain a lot of the pathology in America, because a lot of what the people here have been afraid of have been boogie, like, because it's, there's an opportunity cost in, okay, we had a stampede. It was one thing if we actually had to run for a predator, that was a calculated risk that we don't even have to think about, right? Those we just do in the moment. And then we rationalize after the fact anyway, right? Yeah. Like it's, that's just survival. That's the story we, and the story we tell upon that is the relativity of good and bad, let's say. And then if we go, oh, we had a stampede and people died and it was for nothing. That's when we feel properly stupid and embarrassed. Like, well, aren't we dumb? Uh, uh," Right. And you know, well, what was the cost? So thank God it was just a few people, right. Or a few thousand people, right. Like that's nothing to a species of millions of billions. Right. Yeah. But that's what we see take place you know, the zebra can't mediate, but it is in the zebra's interest to take off yet at the same time, not too often because you can't live in a perpetual state of stress because you will exhaust your body and you will die, right? And your body is your mind. In this case, your mind exhausts your body to the degrees your mind is your body, I guess I would say it. Mm -hmm. So back to the zebras again, the zebra doesn't have to see a lion. It just has to see the herd running. Humans, no different. Human just has to see the herd running. I'd say America circa 2021, I think a lot of the young kids, that's what they're actually waking up to. They're kind of coming to consciousness and maturity at a time and they're seeing the herd stampeding and they just get lost in the shuffle. So like the the dysfunction just perpetuates itself without any real volition or judgment or concern. You know, that's modern American culture. Uh, Keep running. And that's just kind of where we're at. So uh, finishing off this statement. Our housekeeping is mendicant, our arts, our occupations, our marriages, our religion, we may, right? And this reminds me of my friend, right? Going like, yeah, I can be a mendicant. This is a lifestyle I've chosen. You have a friends and family. Why would you turn your back on that love? Emerson is pointing out how this, this example in culture, our housekeeping is mendicant, our arts, our occupations, our marriages, our religion. 
we have not chosen, but society has chosen for us. We defaulted to the options that this is me explaining extemporaneously, obviously, but you know, you defaulted into the path that your the path that your culture laid out for you. You followed what they told you to do. Now that you're there, you recognize that's a mistake. Whoops, let's say that's one that's one way of seeing it. Another way is saying, well, it was in your best interest. They weren't trying to lie to you. But it just turns out you had higher expectations or maybe you were too romantic or maybe you didn't realize what this game really was. Right. It's not as bad as, you know, to the degrees that people say it's bad. I'd say it's not as bad as people say. And to the degrees people say, oh, it's not bad at all. I'd say it's way worse than you could ever imagine. I'm talking about not just modern culture in the West and in America. I mean, humanity, period. Like that's how complex and screwed up this stuff is. Um, That's two takes on the same thing. Uh, both contexts are relevant and accurate. Hmm. So we have not chosen, society has chosen for us. We are parlor soldiers. We shun the rugged battle of fate where strength is born, right? Like you didn't go and earn it for yourself, yeah. right? That's when, you know, that's when you know you can depart when you've earned it. How will you know, how will other people know you've earned it? They can see it. You can also explain it. You usually don't have to explain it because by the time they see it, they already realize they're dealing with someone in something else. Yeah. Like trust, like, you know, when you're dealing with someone who's different than your own, you just know it. Like it's, Oh, I haven't met you before. I haven't seen you before. Maybe yes. you teach me something new. Maybe you tell me something new. Maybe, um, maybe you're magnetic. I don't know. It could be a lot of things, or maybe you're just a psycho, right? Maybe you're really manipulative. Yeah. Clever. I don't know. It could be a lot of things, right? It, it takes some time for these things to come out in the wash or yes. it can, depending on the people and yourself but it's there. We shun the rugged battle of fate where strength is born. Here, I'll read this. I did did like this next part. I'm going to keep going, actually. If our young men miscarry in their first enterprise, they lose all heart, right? Like, oh, like you think a few failures is bad or or you think it's something to write home about or you think that anyone even notices? It's like, no, a few failures, like a few failures is like not even a year into the decades long voyage to greatness, let's say. Like uh, a few failures is nothing in the span of a life. A few mistakes and setbacks and a few even risks turn sour is nothing. You know, that people look at one thing, you know, one aspect of modern culture and go, oh, that's bad. Oh, it's so bad. Oh, it's terrible. What are we going to do? It's like, yeah, you could be working to fix it. You could be working to fight it. You could be doing any number of things but what you're doing, which might be just feeling bad about it or living in regret and pity or whatever it could be. You know, there's more than one ways to skin a cat. You know, Nietzsche makes this apparent. Emerson makes this apparent. I think a lot of people think culture and warfare is only fought in one way. And it's like, no, guys, it's, it's, un- it's, it's, it's as unlimited as your imagination. Yeah. And how discouraging that people are so dead set on only a few things. You know, which Emerson and Nietzsche are the guys who say, no, stop with the one things, right? Yeah. These one things, these things in and of themselves or these one goals or these. Well, one usually thing. it's two things, right? Yes. It's the one thing and the thing that covers for the thing, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like you can't have a shell game without at least two shells, mm-hmm. right? Here's the yeah. prize. So if young men miscarry in the first enterprise, they lose all heart. If the young merchant fails, men say he is ruined. And do you remember us covering the old story about good, bad, who can say? Yeah. Yes, yes, I remember. That one comes to mind, right? 
If yeah. a merchant fails, men say he is ruined. If the finest genius studies at one of our colleges is not in, and is not installed in an office without one year afterwards in the cities of, and suburbs of Boston or New York, it seems to his friends and to himself that he's right and behind being disheartened and in complaining the rest of his life. Right. Like, oh, I could have been this. I should have been yeah. this. I could have done this. I could have done that. You know, and you just like right away, you start seeing how people's life stories start petering out. And it's like, no, it's up to you to keep making it like any yeah. story. Just that, give up, man. Right. And you can hear it in people. Usually they'll say it's it sounds like they're telling a story that ended. It's like, well, this is your life. Like, why does it sound like it ended a few years ago or like it ended last year or like it ended when COVID happened, even let's say. Yeah. Or that it ended when an election was won or lost or that, you know, it's just to me, it's a sign of just how impoverished American wisdom is and American culture is that yeah. any kind of value is placed in any of the domains that they are because it is so bereft, because it is yeah. so hand me down, because it is so decayed, you know, it's uh, and it makes sense that the young people really are sick of old American culture because yeah, what's left, it's not just a question of what's left of it. And then because well, what's tiring. left, well, and what's left of it, that's good. It's like, okay, if not tiring, when is it actually impressive? Yeah. You know, or when are we, you know, and I guess in terms of modern morality, when are you allowed to be proud of it or when are you allowed to be inspired by it? Because it seems like to be inspired by it, you have to be chasing it. And it's like, we've already taught you what it is. We've taught you to chase it. Are you satisfied yet? Are you happy yet? Of course you're not. As a function of the herd, you need to keep chasing because you, you serve a purpose in that chasing. Hmm. You know, I'm not saying any of this is intentional. I'm not saying that this was a great, great big plan cocked up. No, like if anything, this is the mythological aspect of us. The mythological aspect is that we cooked up a story to cover what was largely a pragmatic and useful thing which yes. was art. It was artistic to a few people, the creators who created the languages and who created the cultures and who created the imagery and the gods. And then they, they slowly democratize that over time. And by the time it gets handed down to those at the bottom, you know, they're playing a centuries and millennia long game of telephone and they don't even understand what they've been left, like what they've been left with. It's like, this is your entire cultural heritage. It's nothing that you can see. It's nothing that you can point to that at least that your God, at least that people couldn't tear down cynically and easily is what I was going to say. I wasn't even going to say that. I was just going to say, actually, if I strip away the buildings and the towers, if I strip away the governments and the gods, if I strip away everything and I just leave you, Greg, with your thoughts, you're there in your culture, right? Whether it, yeah. and then my question is, what purpose does it serve you? Is that, in, is that internal mediation? Is that internal monologue? Is that a funeral march? Is it a funeral dirge? Or is it, again, is it, is it to celebrate life? Is it a, you know, um, you mentioned before about, you know, looking, trying to be, look forward to future Greg versus being intimidated by him, or that's where we kind of went with the conversation, but we had that yes, discussion. I remember. You know, and it's like, okay, well, to the degrees that future Greg needs to be a tyrant because he knows present Greg might be a bit too weak here and there if he doesn't crack the whip. Does that sound familiar? Have you, have you ever had that talk with yourself? Yes, I have. Right. So speak of uh, relying on yourself, like you didn't need your dad to do that. You didn't mm -hmm. need a teacher, to, right? It, this was actually, this wasn't even a God, right? This wasn't something outside yourself. Yes. Why did you tell yourself? Did you tell yourself it was important or why did you tell yourself it was important? I'm not sure. Uh, well, 
I, I would hope you could answer that question. If, if we, if relevant to whatever context is, the situation, that's what I would hope we could as answer. As far as school goes and doing well academically, uh, that was mainly out of a desire to. Right. Well, oh, see, oh no, see, that's external tyranny though. That's, that's yeah. still going part of the rat, right? That, that's, that's still kind of indicative of the rat race and also your concern with your fellow's acceptance and your fellow's because we all have it, right? We not only do yes. we want to be accepted, we we we. It's not. No, check it out. Here's how. Here's how stupid. Here's how petty and small people are. They don't just want to be accepted and loved. They also want to be like applauded and cheered. Yes. Like it's not enough just to be accepted. It's like, well, that's already yes. a stretch to go. I'll let you live, you fellow creature. I'll let you live is one. And then, okay, and now maybe I'll even like show some respect or love you. And then now you want applause or commendation or you you just expect it or you think you're like no artist like no artist philosopher is that great is to actually deserve any of that and i'm just saying that frankly and plainly yes. there's there's a few people who know this to be certain but i i know there's a few people who don't and i'm making it explicit to them that not even the greatest philosopher deserves any of that yeah just in case they didn't know nietzsche knows and he because nietzsche says oh no the greatest philosopher basically deserves death <laughs> you know that's what he says yeah because he understands their function uh, as a as a um, as a uh, inflictor uh, of cultural violence, essentially. That's a good way of putting it. Well, because to be a creator, you're being a destroyer. Yeah. Unless you're, if you're only, if you're relying on the old of a culture, you're not a creator, nor are you a destroyer. You're a iteration of a previous model, right? Yeah, that is factually what that is. I don't think you can make a. Can you make a case for that being anything else? You're just, no. This is Emerson saying, don't be an imitator, but that's what you are in that case. You're an imitator, right? Um, and then on the opposite sides of that, again, if you're going to create something new, it means you have to break out of the old. And here's the thing, in the old tradition is usually breaking out of the old. Yes. You know, it's but you're going to have to use parts of the old in order to create the new. Yeah, well, because there's no escaping certain frameworks. We already yes. came to understand what things are permanent problems. Food, sex, water, yada, yada, right? Um, yes. We'll inevitably circle around to these things uh, time and time again, and that's okay. Um, so uh, we were carrying on from here. You know, Talking uh, about giving up and giving you know, I'll in. tell you what. I'll tell you what. It's, uh, it's 7.30. Um, Let's just end it right there. We'll we'll come back to this paragraph next time we start. Uh, I mean, we're pretty far ahead. Yeah, uh, we can definitely make it. We can probably do do the uh, self reliance in two more episodes. You mean when he says it's easy to see that a greater self reliance must work a revolution in all the offices and relations of men? See, this is this is the sea change and consciousness Emerson put forth. This is the ideal he put forth. Now it's subtle. I, I've never heard anyone say this. I've never heard anyone. I mean, I'm it, well, someone could have, I, that's why I'm saying that. Like, I didn't read this elsewhere. I'm not like Nietzsche. Nietzsche is aware that by the time you need an ideal, you're already in hot waters. Yeah. This was Emerson's ideal to the rotten decay and declivity of the will, uh, Christian will, uh, you know, almost 200 years ago. Uh, it's easy to see that a greater self-reliance is needing, right? A reliance upon the self. Yes. We become too dependent. We become lazy. You know, we weren't always this way. Not all cultures are always this way, nor do they stay this way. He was just recognizing like, oh, I see where this is going. Let me, 
he also says it earlier in the essay where he says, if I see it, he's like, if I see a trait, then everyone else will now see that trait for generations after you. It was previously, no one noticed it. Like Nietzsche, Nietzsche is a definitive one here because yeah. he came to see and name many things that were there all along, but he came to name and know them. Emerson references the same phenomenon. Um, so uh, let me just uh, reference the whole little thing. And we'll, we'll, we'll begin with you know where we left off, but let me just read yeah. this last little one-liner and that'll cool. be a perfect place to stop. It is easy to see that a greater self-reliance must work a revolution in all the offices and relations of men, in their religion, in their education, in their pursuits, their modes of living, their association, in their property, in their speculative views. And then he goes on to lay forth his ideals there of terms of a lot of self-overcoming, a lot yeah. of understanding what you think a prayer is, is wrong. What you think this is, is wrong. You know, you think this is good. It's in fact bad. You think that's in fact bad. It's in fact good, right? Well, I like that he's uh, sort of flipping everything around onto the reader, right? Yes. Another sort of false prayers to call regrets, to call, call prayers false, and then to call regrets a false prayer. Freaking genius. Yes. Uh, in what prayers do men allow themselves? That which they call a holy office is not so much as brave and manly. You know, he's saying, in what prayers do men allow themselves? Like, why would you have this part of your life that precludes you, that doesn't include you? He's saying, again, you're letting history cut you off at the knees rather than it being the precursor to your evolution and your story. It's, it's like history isn't this thing that happened to other people and blah, freaking blah. It's like history yeah. is the force that created you. You are another force. What will you create? Here's a good line. Discontent is the want of self-reliance, right? This goes, I was talking about these confessions earlier, right? That an unhappiness- Discontent is the want of self-reliance? Right. Saying something, I'm gonna, I'm unha there's something I'm unhappy about in my situation. Yeah. I've either assessed it wrong. I'm not making the necessary requisite changes. I'm not dealing with it how I should be dealing with it. There's something in my action or inaction. It's a problem of ethos, not just pathos or mythos, right? It's not just yeah. a story. It's not just how you feel about it. It's what are you doing about it? Because life is a, you know, life, life demands action. All the problems here demand actions for solving. Uh, but there was one more line in here. It was just, oh, as men's look, by the time he's almost done with it, talking about an inversion here, by the time he's done with it, he's calling prayers a disease of the will. As yeah. men's prayers are a disease of the will, so are their creeds a disease of the intellect. Just like a prayer is a disease of your will, you adhering to someone else's ideas, because that's what a creed is. You didn't invent a creed. You took that from someone else, whether it's politics or religion, yeah. right? there's only a few big ones and everyone follows them. And then if they don't, no one cares, right? So they, the rest don't matter. So there's only a few creeds and only a few that, that matter. So they're a disease of the intellect. So he really is inverting it. He's basically going everything we held sacred before out with the old and with the new. No, this is the new standard, I, at least to my law and my standard. And Nietzsche took those same cues, right? He did the same exact thing and it was necessary. And he committed the necessary violence of his time. It's all it was, you know, it, it, like in a very real sense, like he yes. played an important role. It's why he both mocked and loved Socrates, let's say he, cause he understood how it applied to him. But uh, like you said, 630 and we cannot spend the day in explanation or exploration even. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, that's, well, uh, that's thanks for having six me. of self-reliance and of, of yeah, course, good, man. Yeah. Good, always good talking to you. Uh, always good to be here. It's always a pleasure. Um, 
so yeah, we will start back up. Maybe we'll start um, at it is easy to see that a greater self-reliance must work at a revolution in all offices, blah, 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 right? Uh, yeah, because yeah, I was skipping around that last little bit there just because some genius yeah. lines. But um, yeah, I think so. Sounds good, man. Cool. Yeah, and that's at the end of page 15 for all you listeners out there. And that's the end of page 16 of that link of the math.dartmouth.edu link, which will be in the podcast show notes. Um, As a reminder, go check out Mina's website, bazabazaar.com. It is awesome. It has aphorisms. Um, It has uh, excerpts from Zarathustra. It has all kinds of stuff. Um, Just lots and lots and lots of original work that really plays into a critique on American culture in a way that is new uh, that you probably haven't seen before. So go check it out. It's awesome. And I really like it. Well, I need a new spokesperson. You're hired. (laughs) Um, And also, by the way, go check out into-the-absurd.com. It's my website. Um, and if you have any questions for the show, like on self-reliance, just like throw me an email, um, do whatever. Anyways, thank you for listening and try to be self-reliant if you can or don't because I'm telling you to. So that one is very (laughs) self-reliant. But not because I said so, of course. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So take it easy.